We're going to turn to Philippians 4 tonight. Philippians chapter 4. Please forgive my voice as I have been ill this week. There's a reason I was at the piano tonight. All right. Philippians chapter 4. And tonight we will look at one of the most famous verses in all of the Word of God. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Philippians 4.13. And let's have... Um, I guess we'll read first, then we'll have prayer. And we'll just go ahead and read um, the same verses we did last week. We got about halfway through them. So verse 9 down to verse 13. Let's stand together if you're able. Philippians 4, verse 9 through 13. Those things that you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now, at last, your care of me has flourished again, in which you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content with it. I know both how to be cast down, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray together. Lord, tonight we look for your grace and your blessing as we read in your word. As we open it, may its truth be real to us. May we understand how it applies. And in our daily living, as we quote uh, Philippians 4.13, I pray that it will be a verse of strength, a verse of truth, and a verse that helps us in our Christian life. Use this time, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Many a young person has dreamed of being rich. Looking at the young people. Is that true? Many a young person has dreamed of being rich. Matthew says he hasn't. I think many times, and it's not just true of young people, sometimes older people dream of being rich. And, um, you know, sometimes the, the imagination is that if someone is rich, they somehow don't have any problems. Now, for those who have attained wealth, they know that is not the case. In fact, there are some problems that only rich people have and those without money do not have. I know some people would say, I would love to be afflicted with the curse of too much money. It would just be such a, a good thing. You know, there's more than one way to be rich. One way to be rich is to have everything you want. But the other way to be rich is to want everything you have and nothing more. And um, this is very important for our text tonight because Paul talks about the times where he had a lot and the times where he had almost nothing. And he talked about having the same attitude in either space. Reminds me of another story that I read. It's not a story. It was actually a how-to book. Years ago, I read a book on, on trading stocks. And uh, I haven't read any books on that topic real recently, but years ago I read this book about trading stocks. And these are people that sit at a desk and trade all day long, um, not talking about trading in your free time or something. These are full-time traders. And the guy was saying the way you can tell someone who's really, really learned the trade of stock trading 
is that as you sit and watch them at their desk throughout the day, you can't tell if they're $2,000 ahead or $2,000 behind on the day. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was down $2,000 on the day, I think I'd be banging the desk a little bit. I think I'd be biting my nails. Or, But what he was saying was that someone who is a good trader has learned to not let their emotions drive them. And they can stay, keep their mind focused on their work, and they can keep their rules in mind, and they can do what they're supposed to do and not be emotionally moved. Now, this is not a passage about stock trading, but it is a passage about our spirit and how we control our spirit when our, maybe we wouldn't call it our stock account, we might call it our emotional account, we might call it our blessing account is high or low, but our spirit remains centered on the truth. Verse 11 says, Not that I speak in respect of need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content with it. Paul says that he's learned in whatever state he is in to be content. Now, when he says state, he does not mean North Carolina or South Carolina, all right, or Texas or Minnesota, all right. He means whatever condition. Now, what are the two conditions? Well, in verse 12, we'll see the two conditions. I know how to be cast down, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. When we put these verses together, what we discover is that he's talking about when things are going well and when they're not going well. When his finances are improving or when they're crumbling, um, he also uses the terms of hunger. When I'm hungry and when I am full. Now that's an interesting phrase. Have we ever heard the phrase hangry? All right? Angry and hungry put together. Hangry. Um, Paul was saying he had learned to be content even when he was hungry. He could be content. Um, let's, let's just talk for a minute about this attitude. He says, I have learned. I've learned to be content. This learning is not by instruction. This is not the learning of knowledge in the head. Do you know what kind of learning this is? This is the learning that comes through experience. Now, I know you didn't want to hear that tonight. You hoped you could learn this by listening to Pastor John preach. But you know what? This is something you can't learn in church. Now, I can explain it, and I can lay it out for you, and maybe it'll help you learn it by experience. But Paul says he had learned through experience how to be content. To be content through experience. Contentment is a form of peace. And haven't we been talking about peace, right? The peace that comes through prayer. The peace that comes through meditation. The peace that comes through obedience. And um, now we see a peace that is connected to contentment. And he says, I, I know how to be cast down. I know how to be... Uh, let's see here. What's the word he uses? Uh, cast down and abound. Abound, he uses that. To be lifted up and to be lowered. Contentment is not a, a dead resignation to fate. It's not a fatalism or an apathy, you know, an I don't care what happens to me attitude. That's not contentment. It's not even being naive or just hopefully optimistic. Um, contentment is learning to rest your spirit on what God has chosen. 
And the truth is anchored, in, and we're going to get to verse 13 in a minute, but the, the truth is, is that what we need is ultimately found in Christ. So what I need for this very moment is found in Christ. And what I need for maybe the future or for this need to be fulfilled is found in Christ as well. So the strength I need in the moment, but as well as whatever lack I have, Christ is able to meet that need. Um, specifically, he says he knows how to, notice at the end of verse 12, to suffer need. Right? Paul says he knows how to have a need. And do you remember last week I asked the question, who here would say, God has not met my needs? Right? And then we discussed that, how there are times where we have a need and God hasn't yet met the need. Paul was the same way. And Paul said, I am able to be content even when I have unmet needs. Hmm. Even when I'm suffering need, I can be content. Now, do you think that means that Paul didn't pray for his needs? I don't think it meant that at all. The Bible says, cast your care upon him. The Bible says to ask and it shall be given you, right? But you know what? His, his spirit was able to live in contentment. Do you know what sometimes happens to us is we will pray for a need to be met. And maybe under our breath spiritually, we're saying, why haven't you given it already, God? <laughs> like we know the need is there and we might even ask God for it, but we're not content with the fact that he hasn't provided it yet. Paul said, I've learned contentment. I've learned to be content. Now in verse 12, when he uses that phrase cast down, I know, I know both how to be cast down and I know how to abound. That word cast down is the same word when it says of Jesus in, in Philippians 2 that he humbled himself. And the idea is Paul knew how to be humbled and lowered and um, made less in the eyes of others and he knew how to abound or to be exalted. When it uses the term to be full, um, it is a reference of, of being full of food. It's also used of fattening up cattle for the slaughter. <laughs> All right? um, and you know, notice, notice what he says here. I know how to be cast down and I know how to abound. He uses abound twice. He uses the word full once. You know, sometimes in our Christian life we think that we need to learn how to not have anything, to be humble, to be low, to suffer need. And that's very true. This text teaches it. We need to learn how to do that. But I want to ask the flip side. Have you learned how to be full? Now, I know what some people would teach about that. If you sow the seed of faith and give your offering, you can learn how to abound in your finances, right? And they're just teaching you how to, quote, have money. Paul's not talking about it. He says, sometimes I have nothing. Sometimes I have a lot. And he says, I know how to do both of those. Now, when he says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound, Paul isn't saying, I know how to make money and so I can just go out and get money. He's not saying that. He's saying, I know how to handle it. Well, how do you suppose you have to handle having a lot? You don't have to work on that, do you? Paul said he knew how to do it. And he was still content even when he had a lot. And we might say, well, you know, contentment doesn't have anything to do with people that have a lot. Well, it certainly can. It certainly can. Because having a lot can sometimes ruin people. Did you know that? There's a little phrase that says this, to carry a full cup, one must have a steady hand. 
And you know, some people get lots of money put into their hands and they don't know how to handle that. And you know what it does? It makes them proud. makes them carnal. makes them start uh, spending like a drunken sailor. And some people do not know how to abound. Can God trust you with more? Can God put more into your hands and know it will be well handled? Or would you lack contentment and your lusts and desires would take over and that money would ruin you? I know years ago there was a story of someone that was at Christian college. I don't know what they were studying for. I don't know if it was ministry or, or if it was a secular degree. I don't know. But I heard they won. Do you remember the Pepsi challenge where you collected the sayings underneath the caps? I remember I was trying to collect as if because you got like a Jeep, I think it was, if you had as and if. And of course, they only you know, print like two bottle caps to have one of them. But you'd open up your Pepsi and you'd look at the bottom. And I'm told, I think it was in that challenge that, that he got all of the sayings in the caps and he put it together and he won a million dollars. And they said that it completely ruined him. He quit school, became a jerk, went off, and I think he spent, out, spent up the money very quickly. And I asked that, that question about how to abound. Paul was saying, my spirit is under control. I am happy in God. I'm content in Him. And I am able to have lots or little handed to me, and it doesn't move me. It doesn't change me. You know, there's a sad verse in Revelation that says of a church. Notice this is a church. Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. One of the seven churches of Revelation. Well, let's come to verse 13. Paul says, and I think it's important to read verse 11 and 12 as we get to verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul concludes this section on contentment and the peace that contentment brings by using this verse. I'm told that it's the second most commonly quoted verse in the entire Bible. John 3.16 is first. Philippians 4.13 is next. And I do find it very, very helpful to read the verse in the context that it's given. When Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he says it after he has just got done saying, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I think it's pretty clear that Paul had some things in mind in the context of what he was saying. Now, many times we read verse 13, and we really hone in on the phrase, all things, right? And we just say, I can do anything, I can do everything, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. However, um, as I think about that, Paul is giving this statement in the context of his situation. And what I want to just talk about for a minute is sometimes how the verse is used and perhaps more of the purpose of the verse. I'm, I'm told that this verse, what somebody looked up on Instagram, Philippians 4.13, and they said there was thousands of hits. And they went down through and they said, the most commonly used connection with Philippians 4.13 was um, sports people talking about their game and uh, people trying to lose weight, saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, 
Um, is it possible for two competing athletes, two good Christian men, to both quote Philippians 4.13 and then go out and play one another on the field? Now what if they both claim the power of Philippians 4.13, are they both going to win the game? No, they are not, because it's impossible for both teams to win the game. At least, I mean, there's ties, but that's not a win. A tie is a tie, right? Both teams can't win. But sometimes the verse is used as a predictive, futuristic thing about things we want to attain. So, for instance, with the weight loss goal, I think that's a problem, depending on the person's situation, it's probably a good thing to have a weight loss goal. And um, it's probably... Uh, you know, uh, a good thing. But what if you come to the end of the year and you only lost 40% of your, the, the pounds you want to lose? Would you say that Jesus didn't strengthen you enough? Well, no. And would we say then that, that the, the verse has been used correctly? Well, in context, Paul is talking about going through difficult times and going through um, good times. And I find it interesting that the verse is usually used about trying to do something that is quote-unquote better. So, for example, people would never say they've claimed Philippians 4.13 to make less money this year. Right? But Paul just got done saying, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. So Paul is giving a different push to this verse, and it's not about your goals or future things, but I believe it is about the present And it is about going through good or ill, whatever it might be, that you can go through that with contentment. And you can do that through Christ. So, I can do all things. Maybe we could even think of it as I can endure all things, if it's a negative thing. Or I can safely do all things, if it's a positive thing. Spiritual safety I'm referencing. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sometimes I think this verse is used with lost people. And people will claim this verse and then the thing predicted doesn't happen. And Jesus' name is brought into it. Oh yes, I can, I can make it to Philadelphia in 13 hours because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, if you don't make it to Philadelphia in 13 hours, now all of a sudden Jesus looks bad. Right? Well, the verse was never given as a promise for you to attain some difficult thing that you, know, you predicted you could do. Um, And goal setting can be a very good thing. Rather, the verse is talking not about external attainments, but it's talking about internal, our soul and our spirit, and how we're affected by the things that happen around us. I want to read a couple verses that show this to be true in Paul's life. Paul, right before he died, said this, He was locked up in prison and he had to appear before Caesar. And this is what he says. At my first defense, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray to God that it may not be laid to their charge. However, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. What he's saying is that God strengthened him when all others around him forsook him, and he had to go appear before Caesar all by himself, and yet God strengthened him and gave him the grace that he needed in that moment, and he was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now, if God had chosen for him to be killed by lions, the verse would still be true. 
But he says, God strengthened me and I made it through. I wonder if Paul was worried he would compromise the gospel. I wonder if Paul was worried that he would break under persecution. I wonder if Paul was worried that he would doubt the Lord in that moment. And, and he's going through this experience. And for Paul, the Lord strengthening him was an internal work in his heart. It was not getting the outcome that he wanted. Um, this is another great verse that teaches this similar concept. 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace was bestowed on me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Here Paul says, God was working in me, and I was working harder than everyone else. I was doing more for God than everyone else. But it wasn't me, it was the grace of God that was in me. What he's saying is that God strengthened him and he had something within him that, that uh, succeeded spiritually and because of that, he did more work than others around him. Another verse that teaches this, Therefore I take pleasure in weaknesses, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. <coughs> I hope that God will use Philippians 4.13 to teach you that you can find strength and grace in your heart through Christ to bring you through every situation. You know, some situations are of God. God determines that we should go through that trial. You know, there's other situations that we dig our own grave. <laughs> Not grave, but we dig our own pit sometimes and we get down in that pit. But God is able to strengthen us to get out of that, isn't He? He's able to get us where we need to be. And there's no reason that we have to fail internally or fail spiritually before the Lord because of what we're going through. I know there are times where God has brought me to weakness. He didn't bring me to strength. He brought me to weakness. He brought me to a place where, where I had less and where goals were not being achieved. And in, in Paul's words, he would say, I was being abased. And yet he says that was where I needed to be for that moment because I'm learning contentment. And I'm learning to let the strength of Christ work through me. That's how he could say I take pleasure in weaknesses. Nobody's happy about weaknesses, are they? We're not happy about them. But here he says he takes pleasure in them. Why? He says, I take pleasure for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And he's speaking of how Christ's strength sometimes flows through our weakness. And if we're wanting Christ to be exalted, then that means that's actually a situation for Christ to be exalted. It's a situation for His strength to win. So Paul is able to look at every situation and he can say, I can endure this. Christ is with me. Christ is in me and he's going to give me what I need. This gave Paul a holy boldness. I tell you, if there's something we need as Christians, it is a holy boldness. It is that face and that heart that comes upon each and every situation. And we look it straight in the face. And we face it head on. And we say, I will go forward in the name of Christ. Not in my own strength. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I will not run. I will not fear. I will continue to do what God has called me to do. It's not about setting drastic goals for yourself and then stepping out and letting Jesus do it. No, it's about stepping forward 
to let Christ work through you. And when He brings you to bigger things and better things and more money and easier time, you do so in contentment with your soul resting in Him. When He brings you to weakness and to failure and to less money and things going backwards and you being abased, you can face that too because Christ is working in you. He's empowering you. Therefore, we don't have to fear. No need to fear. No need to run. We have Christ. Paul was thankful for the gift. He told the Philippians, thank you for the gift. But he wanted them to be clear that he wasn't contented because the gift had come. He had contentment before the gift ever arrived. He said, I don't want you to think I'm speaking in respect of need. I've learned in whatever state I am to be content with it. All right, let's bow together in prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for the simple